Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Tonight, straight from the source, Rudy Giuliani learning the price of lying for Donald Trump. $148 million for defaming two former election workers, but he's still pushing those lies on his way out of court. Plus, Israeli forces mistakenly killing three hostages after the troops mistook them for a threat. How an operation in Gaza went so tragically wrong. Also, the autopsy results just in from Matthew Perry. What authorities say ketamine had to do with the Friends actor's death. Dr. Sanjay Gupta is here to break it down. I'm Kaylin Collins, and this is The Source. An already cash-strapped Rudy Giuliani is now in ruins for trying to destroy the lives of two Americans in Georgia who simply were doing their patriotic duty in November of 2020. A federal jury has now ordered Giuliani to pay Ruby Freeman and Shay Moss $148 million for defaming them for their emotional distress and also for punitive damages. The amount was so astonishing that there was an audible gasp in the courtroom today as it was read. The jury having none of it from Donald Trump's one-time lawyer for wrongfully, repeatedly, and viciously accusing an innocent mother and her daughter of tampering with votes in 2020. Almost just as breathtaking, he is still doing so to this very day. The absurdity of the number merely underscores the absurdity of the entire proceeding, where I've not been allowed to offer one single piece of evidence in defense of which I have a lot. I have no doubt that my comments were made and they were supportable and are supportable today. I just did not have an opportunity to present the evidence that we offered. That's not true. He is lying. He had an opportunity to defend himself. He chose not to testify at the last minute after insisting that he would. And speaking of absurd... He doesn't regret a damn thing, flashing that big smile as he left the courthouse today. Rudy Giuliani says that he is going to appeal this verdict and possibly move for a new trial, but he might be busy given he is also facing criminal charges in the state of Georgia that could potentially send him to prison. The two women that he hurt that he defamed are vowing to fight on. Today's a good day. Today is not the end of the road. We still have work to do. Rudy Giuliani was not the only one who spread lies about us. And others must be held accountable too. Money will never solve all of my problems. I can never move back into the house that I called home. I will always have to be careful about where I go. The flame that Giuliani lit with those lies and passed to so many others to keep that flame blazing changed every aspect of our lives. We hope no one ever has to fight so hard just to get your name back. 
I'm joined tonight by an attorney for the two women you see there, Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman. Von DeBose is here. Thank you so much for being here. You and the other attorneys urged the jury here to send a message. What message do you think that they sent with this $148 million verdict? Yes, I think the jury spoke here. They spoke on behalf of the voiceless people like Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss. Uh, the message that has been sent is that uh, powerful folks like Rudy Giuliani cannot lie like, the, like he did in this case. Uh, the message the jury sent today is that lies have a price tag. He, you know, that moment when you saw the two of them speaking, they seemed to get a bit emotional, understandably, sure. at, the, at the end after they both finished speaking to reporters. How are they doing tonight? To, like Ruby said, today is a good day, but there is a lot more work to be done. Uh, I don't think they can ever be fully restored to what they were before. Of course, that's what they would prefer to be, what they used to be. Um, you know, not looking over your shoulder when you go out to the grocery store, being able to give people your name when you meet them. Those are small things that they now cannot do. I don't know that they'll ever get back to the point where uh, they have those um, freedoms that they had before all of this. Do they expect that they'll see any of this money given, given what we've known and reported about Giuliani's financial situation? I can tell you we intend to collect every nickel. Uh, we are already putting uh, the wheels in motion for that process. Uh, we don't know if we'll ever see anything out of it, but we intend to collect everything. Mr. Giuliani came out of court. He said, I don't regret a damn thing. He smiled. And he claimed that he was not responsible for the death threats that, that your clients got. I just want to remind people what some of those threats, some of those calls, the text messages, the people showing up at their house, what that sounded like. You're going to jail, Ruby. You're going to get locked up, Ruby. You're all going to jail, you piece of Hey, I hope you like jail because that's where you're going on your way to hell. What do you make of him saying he's not responsible for what we just heard? Well, the jury said different, and that's what counts. I'm not surprised he said that, but the jury said different. Von DeBose, attorney for Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, thank you for your time tonight. Thank you for having me. And I'm joined now by a pair of former federal prosecutors, Ellie Honig, Jennifer Rogers. Ellie, I mean, we were talking about this last night and yeah. just you said you thought they were going to get what they were asking for, which was 24 million each. Yeah. They got 100 million on top of that. In fairness, I didn't even think they were going to get that much. I thought they were going to get a lot, but that number even took me by surprise. I think the size of this verdict is a reflection of just how over the top, just how destructive Rudy Giuliani's lies were. I mean, look what he did to these innocent victims who never asked for this. They never wanted any part of this. They never engaged with Rudy. He picked them out. He destroyed their lives. And one thing I noticed, and you noticed this, Caitlin, while we were covering the verdict, the tone of Ms. Freeman and Ms. Moss as they talked afterwards was not jubilant. They were not celebratory. They were relieved. They felt they had some measure of justice. And I thought that was a really poignant moment. Oh, and Ruby Freeman was so, yeah. had so much class and so much Absolutely. grace, I thought, in, in saying, we're not trying to seek retribution here. Yep. I think the question is, you know, she talked about how the money cannot repay. It can't give her back her security, her home that she lived in for 20 years, her name. 
But you heard the attorney there saying that they are going to try to get every nickel that Rudy Giuliani owes these two women. What happens if he can't pay? I mean, can he declare bankruptcy and just get out of this? Or what's the likelihood of that? Well, he can try. I mean, there's a lot of money here. That's a lot of cameo videos that Rudy Giuliani would have to do, right? Um, He can try to declare bankruptcy, but these kinds of verdicts do take precedence in, you know, over uh, declaring a bankruptcy. And there are lots of other creditors, too. So he can try. The bigger issue here is he just doesn't have this money, right? So they can certainly try to get as much as they can out of him. And he has some assets. I guess he has an apartment for sale now. So hopefully they'll get something. But I don't, you know, there's no way they're going to get what he doesn't have. I mean, you mentioned the cameo videos. That's not a joke. He's actually making videos that people can request for, I think, $500 or something on Cameo. But, I mean, he's got that. He has his his podcast, his radio show. Can they take that? How does that work? Can so, they garnish those wages, basically? Yeah, so the trick that the lawyers are going to be doing now is, first of all, identifying assets. It's hard to garnish a podcast. But, but real estate property, you can basically put in a claim, put in a lien, so that if it gets sold, the buyer will know, okay, there's people who have claims on this. And what ends up happening, there's a lot of creditors here. There's a lot of people who Rudy Giuliani owes money to, and there will be more because there's civil suits outstanding against him from the voting technology, from Dominion, from Smartmatic. So the list of people who Rudy owes money to is just going to grow. Essentially, they have to divide up the pie pro rata. You know, whoever is entitled to however much, you just have to scale that down to however much assets he actually has. As an attorney, what do you make of him, though, coming out of court the way he did, so defiant, and and telling people, as he did the other day, you know, tune in for his evidence that he has Claiming these two women are still doing what they did not do, what this jury has just ordered him to pay this much money for. He's still pushing the lies. Yeah, I mean, look, he clearly made the decision a long time ago that he wasn't going to even show up in this case. He didn't provide discovery. There was a default judgment against him from the get-go. He just decided to deny, 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 because, of course, he has not only other civil matters, as Ellie said, but criminal matters, right? So he is just going to not even engage with any of this and hope it works out for the best. But this really, to me, sent a message not just to Rudy Giuliani about these two particular people, but to everyone, including Trump, who has any case that touches on election interference, which is, if you are coming with nothing, no evidence, if it's just lies, it doesn't work inside the courtroom. You have to have evidence, testimony subject to perjury, evidence is admissible and authenticated. You know, you can't just come with nothing. And that's a really tough lesson for Donald Trump and others who are going to be facing these. Yeah, I mean, they've been running running short on that. And there is no shortage of, you know, these are civil suits, defamation suits that we've seen people using from the 2020, you know, lies to try to clear their name. There are also, you know, criminal indictments here. The special counsel referenced exactly what was being said about Ruby Freeman in his special, in his indictment against Trump. He said, you know, they're pointing to two election workers receiving numerous death threats. Are we going to see Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss on the witness stand, potentially? If I'm prosecuting this case, absolutely. I mean, for for a couple reasons. First of all, they will drive home to the jury that there were human victims here. There was a human cost of this. Yes, there was cost to our democracy. Yes, there was cost to our institutions. But look, they will be a face of the prosecution. You can make it real for the jury. And second of all, you're not going to find two more relatable, sympathetic, credible witnesses and the two women who we saw speak outside the courthouse. And they testified in front of the January 6th committee a couple summers ago and were superb. They were strong. They were clear. They stood up for themselves. I found them really inspiring. Ellie Honig, Jennifer Rogers, thank you both for that. Also, after that verdict, you heard Ruby Freeman talking about how her life has changed since she and her daughter were singled out by Giuliani, but not just Giuliani, former President Trump as well. I miss my home. I miss my neighbors, and I miss my name. 
I've heard some of you. Don't be sad for me. Don't waste your time being angry at those who did this to me and my daughter. We are more than conquerors. Pray for us as we continue to fight the good fight of faith. Still just amazed by those words from Ruby Freeman earlier today. I'm joined now by former Republican congressman and the member of the former January 6th committee, Adam Kinzinger. Congressman, thank you for being here. I mean, just to, to a side by side of Ruby Freeman coming out of court and Rudy Giuliani coming out of court is about as stark as a contrast as it gets. And as you well know from being in Washington when Donald Trump was in office, he often leaves you know, these ruined lives in his wake, including people who have gone to bat for him the most, people who told lie after lie after lie for him, like Rudy Giuliani. But has anyone ever blown themselves up more for Donald Trump than Giuliani has? No, I mean, it's, it, I, I still am amazed at how he has gone from America's mayor you know, this guy that probably in any other world where he hadn't gotten tangled up with Donald Trump, after he passed, he would have an elementary school named after him in every town to have completely destroyed his life for what? For temporary fame? He was already famous. For proximity to power, he could have met with any president he wanted to before he became what he did. But there is just something extremely broken. And there's something broken with this idea that you pick two innocent people, Rudy Giuliani's a powerful man, but Donald Trump, obviously a powerful man. You find two innocent people and you punch down, you destroy their lives, you break them, and then you dare to take the name of God and pretend like you are somehow some kind of a, a messenger from the Lord while you're destroying innocent people's lives. I mean, it's, it makes me angry sort of sad, I mean, certainly sad for the victims, sort of sad for Rudy because of how far he fell, but also disgusted that there is a machine works of people behind them that cheer on these kinds of attacks. I just don't understand what humanity is, what's happened to humanity, particularly for those who claim to be small government Republicans. They've, it's, it's, it still blows me away. Yeah, I mean, these women were too scared to give 911 operators their phone numbers because of the threats that they were getting. And those threats amplified when, when Donald Trump called Brad Raffensperger, the Georgia Secretary of State. He invoked Ruby Freeman by name. I just want to remind people what he said during that call. We're so far ahead of these numbers, even the phony ballots of, uh, of Ruby Freeman, known scammer. You know the internet? You know what was trending on the internet? Where's Ruby? because they thought you'd be in jail. Where's Ruby? Um, it's, uh, it's crazy. It's crazy. That was, the minimum number is 18,000 for Ruby, but they think it's probably about 56,000. But the minimum number is 18,000 on the Ruby Freeman night where she ran back in there when everybody was gone and stuffed. She stuffed the ballot boxes. Not true. And the reason that was trending, the reason Where's Ruby was trending is because Rudy Giuliani was the first to tweet about it, to post about it. But I mean, it, Congressman, if what Rudy Giuliani does is uh, the damage is worth $148 million, I mean, how much more is it, do you think, with the former commander in chief at the time, the sitting president, saying that you should be in jail? I mean, infinitely. I mean, 
again, I, I was listening to that and I sometimes forget, you know, we get numb to Donald Trump and to what he says and how he acts. That was at the time of making that the president of the United States of America, who was supposed to be defending people in America. That's his prime job, picking two women. Let's be honest why they were picked, because they're black. Let's be clear, who were passing a ginger mint to each other. And then Rudy Giuliani comes out and says they were passing you know, a thumb drive, like, quote, it was cocaine or heroin. Like, and these, these are powerful men that have to punch down to women that made a decision to serve their community, probably didn't get paid a ton of money to do what they do. And, and this guy's running for president again. I mean, the damage he does to people's lives, there is nobody that has ever been close to Donald Trump, even as his friend, that doesn't come out the other side destroyed bad. Or look at Mark Meadows. Nobody even knows where he is. He has to cooperate with the feds or whatever. And this is a guy that sold himself out. Look at Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy sold himself out to win the approval of Donald Trump and ends up the shortest tenure for speaker, still begging to serve in his cabinet. Like at some point, Americans have got to wake up and say, we either can be a country that accepts this and we'll never be a great country again if we do, or we can go back to our principles of realizing that humanity matters, people matter, and we have to have goodness in our soul. And you just don't see that in these folks. It makes me just, it really makes me sad. Yeah, sad and a lot of other uh, emotions. Adam Kinzinger, thank you. You bet. And as the congressman mentioned there, Rudy Giuliani went from being America's mayor and a top federal prosecutor, even a candidate for president at one point, to what we see today. A longtime friend of his on his spectacular spiral will join me next. Also tonight, this story, the IDF is now admitting it mistakenly shot and killed three Israeli hostages and is a tragic mix-up, misidentifying them as a threat. How on earth that could happen after this break? From America's mayor to a national embarrassment. If Rudy Giuliani was at rock bottom before today, he will go to bed tonight $148 million deeper in the hole. The phrase fall from grace is overused, but in this case, few have fallen further. He was the calming presence, the mayor that the nation watched walk through those clouds of dust on 9-11. The man who graced the cover of Time Magazine as a, quote, tower of strength. He was once one of the most popular politicians in this country, at one point the leading candidate for the Republican presidential nomination in 2008. But these days, of course, you can now see it is a mere illusion of what he once was Rudy Giuliani, not the same. An illusion of a once celebrated legal mind who marked the opening scene of Trump's post-2020 election spiral, the infamous press conference outside the Four Seasons. No, not the luxury hotel, the local landscaping company. The connection between his reputation and the fate of the former president became so intertwined that Giuliani stood in front of the soon-to-be mob on Capitol Hill on the ellipse on January 6th, repeating election lie after election lie for a man who would later, and still at this moment, refuse to help pay his legal bills. Giuliani is now left paying that price all alone today. It got a lot higher. I want to bring in Andrew Kurtzman, who has covered Rudy Giuliani extensively for three decades and is the author of a very timely book, Giuliani, The Rise and Tragic Fall of America's Mayor. And Andrew, I mean, it's just hard to to kind of put into perspective 
just how far of a, of a fall from grace we are truly witnessing. Do you think Giuliani, based on how you saw him coming out of court today, has any grasp of that? You know, if Giuliani were an, an introspective person, which he is not, he would be asking himself tonight about some of the choices he made. Um, uh, the choices he made, beginning with his ex extraordinary fame after September 11th, when he was more popular than the Pope, according to polls, when he was making astonishing amounts of money cashing in on his fame, when he w ran for president and was the front runner for an entire year before that race happened. What was the choice he made after he lost that race, after he had to leave that race in, in humiliation, having just accumulated just one, one delegate? His choice was to align himself with Donald Trump. Every humiliation he's had since then, every disaster that Rudy Giuliani has had since then, the fact that he is now uh, headed for bankruptcy, the fact that he is a national laughingstock, the fact that he's headed uh, for, for, uh, uh, towards a criminal trial that could lead him to jail, it's all traceable to choices Rudy Giuliani made, and particularly the choice he made to align himself with Donald Trump. And if Giuliani were you know, honest with himself tonight, he'd be wondering, why did I do it? When I covered the White House and Giuliani was often there, we'd run into him, you know, coming back from the cameras to, to the briefing room. One thing that I heard from a lot of people was that he was very isolated. A lot of people in the White House didn't want to hang out with him. I mean, he was kind of he was then the way he is now. Does he have friends? Does he have anyone who can sit him down and talk to him? Or is he just so far past that point? You know, when I covered Giuliani way back at City Hall um, in uh, the 1990s, he had um, he had so many loyalists, so many who would do anything for him, anything for him. And uh, you know, I was I was speaking to one of his old City Hall aides today, and she told me, you know, I used to be so proud to say that I worked for Rudy Giuliani, and now. I don't even tell people I work for him. They're, they, they've, they're apologizing that they ever work for Rudy Giuliani. He's, he's um, extremely isolated, as you say. He has got one or two kind of diehard loyalists who have stuck with him. But all the people who he's been close with over his career, the prosecutors, the city hall aides, family members, all of the people who are kind of part of the cult of Rudy Giuliani. They've fallen by the wayside. He is very, very much alone. Andrew Kurtzman, I mean, your book could not be more relevant than at this moment. Thank you so much for, for joining us tonight. And speaking of people who, who worked closely with Rudy Giuliani, I mean, few of them have known just how much he's changed than my next guest, Jeffrey Harris, who was Giuliani's best friend for many years and served as his deputy when he was associate Attorney General, and he's here now. Thank you so much for being here, Jeffrey. I mean, you just heard what Andrew said. Are you someone who is kind of, the word he used was embarrassed to talk about how you closely used to work with Giuliani, your friendship that you had with him? I'm afraid to say that's true. Um, when I tell people that Rudy and I were great friends, they look at me cross-eyed now because they don't, you know, this goes back to the to the uh, 70s when we were both assistant U.S. attorneys in the Southern District of New York. 
Rudy was regarded among a hundred or so lawyers as one of the top. Um, but one thing I will say that does ring true to me today is Rudy always reacted to criticism more like Richard Nixon than John Kennedy. And when he got back into a corner, he went into fighting mode. And I think that's what you see in his statements outside the courthouse today and earlier in the week. Um, is, he always had that that side of him. Is that what you think that is? You know, this just total lack of a sense of humanity. When you hear, you know, Ruby Freeman talking about how, you know, no amount of money can make up what she's been through. And then Giuliani comes out and says, I don't regret anything. Well, I, I think it's uh, a function of it's all about me. You know, um, I don't think at this point he's uh, capable of thinking about what he really did to these women. And, uh, you know, when I hear him say things like I'm going to appeal and I'm going to win. Well, first of all, a civil case to appeal, you got to put up an appeal bond. Where is he going to get an appeal bond? And if he thinks that after after uh violating court order after court order and refusing to provide discovery, not testifying, and thinks that he will get a favorable review at the Court of Appeals, tells me he, he uh, if he really believes that, he's out of touch. Can I, just before I let you go, one thing, you know, he accused Ruby Freeman of doing was passing around drugs or USB, it was really a, a ginger mint. Uh, you said you recalled an episode in 1982 where he himself was accused of carrying, or questioned, I guess I should say, about carrying drugs when he really wasn't. That's right. Rudy and I were coming back from lunch and entering into the central courtyard of the Department of Justice, and he had something in a paper bag. And we get back to the office, and the head of the office of professional responsibility calls up about an hour later and says, someone just called in and said they saw you bring in narcotics into the Department of Justice. And I can tell you, for the rest of the afternoon, he sat at his desk fuming. He could talk about nothing else. Um, so uh, in that small venue, and of course it was baloney, but in that small moment, um, it, it's uh, very similar in that way to what uh, he accused these women of doing. The irony of that is just beyond. Jeffrey Harris, thank you for your time tonight. You're welcome. Ahead, a difficult story. They had survived 70 days in captivity. Tonight, three Israeli hostages have been killed by Israeli forces on accident in Gaza. How this could have happened, we'll tell you their stories right after this. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Tonight, the autopsy for Friends actor Matthew Perry has been released nearly two months after he was found floating face down in the pool at his Malibu home. The Los Angeles Medical Examiner's Office says he died as a result of an acute effect of ketamine, along with other contributing factors, including drowning. CNN's chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, has taken a look at this autopsy and is here now. Sanjay, just can you just, as a doctor, 
Walk us through what stood out to you in this autopsy and whether this was an, an overdose of ketamine or what they found from this. Yeah, I mean, it's a 30-page report, so there's a lot in there that's mostly talking about what did not happen, what did not contribute to his, his death. Uh, what they really focused in on, as you mentioned, was the fact that he had ketamine in his, in his body. Uh, they found elements of, of ketamine in his stomach, and uh, they said that that was sort of the, one of the primary causes, along with the fact that he was in a pool and had drowned. Those are the things that really stood out to me. We, we looked at specifically the dose of ketamine that he had in his, in his blood, and it was pretty high. It was, uh, you know, or you can see the numbers there in the 3,000 range, and to give you some context for what that means, ketamine can be used as an anesthetic, Caitlin, and the range can be from 1,000 to 6,000. But here's the, the important thing is that ketamine in and of itself is very rarely associated with someone overdosing and dying. Unlike opioids, for example, which suppress your ability to breathe on your own, that's not what ketamine does. It, it dissociates you from your environment and from your own body. So it's not really that associated with, with someone dying, but in his case, he was in a swimming pool. So someone becomes dissociated, they become, uh, can lapse into unconsciousness, and if they're in a pool, they can, they can drown, which is, I think that's really what, what jumped out at me. So high doses, elements found in his stomach, which meant that he, you know, you can inject this, you can snort it, you can swallow it. Sounds like he swallowed it takes usually a half an hour to an hour to take effect. He got into the pool at some point after taking this ketamine and sounds like that that's what caused him to drown. Yeah, and his live-in assistant who was had been there had left to go run errands. I mean, when you look at this though, it's right. also said that the test had determined a therapeutic levels of a drug that the examiner said is used to treat drug addiction and pain. Yeah. Obviously that was something he was very honest and public about. What drug is that, and what role did they believe it, it played, if any, here? Yeah, so th this is a drug known as buprenorphine, uh, Caitlin, and this is a, it's a synthetic opioid, and it's actually, even though it's a synthetic opioid, is used typically to help people get off stronger opioids. It sort of binds to the same receptors as opioids, but it's a lower sort of power uh, drug, so it can actually help people sort of wean off the more powerful opioids. We don't know um, if this was part of his, his addiction treatment because as you, as you mentioned, he's been very open about his addiction and sometimes that can be used to treat addiction. It can also be used uh, recreationally to sort of dampen the effects, uh, the hallucinogenic effects of, of ketamine. Uh, people who use these drugs rec recreationally will sometimes use it for that. But I think the, the really important point, the salient point here is if you look at these medications, it doesn't seem like the buprenorphine really contributed to it. I looked at the levels. They were more in the therapeutic range, as you say, as opposed to sort of a, a lethal or a more toxic range. Just awful news for his family, his friends, his yeah. fans. Sanjay, thank you so much. Yeah, Kayla, thank you. Also, uh, really fascinating reporting, months in the making. It is a collection of highly classified U.S. intelligence on Russia that is missing tonight. It was last seen at the White House after Donald Trump had ordered it there at the end of his presidency. The mystery of this missing top secret binder will tell you next. Tonight, a CNN investigation is blowing a hole in one of Washington's most enduring mysteries. It's about a binder containing highly classified information related to the Russia investigation that went missing just days before Donald Trump left the, left the White House. To this day, no one has been able to find 
This binder, which was considered so sensitive, it was kept in a locked safe at the CIA headquarters in Langley, Virginia, where only those with top-secret security clearance could actually see it. But sources tell CNN that in Trump's final days in office, the former president ordered that that binder be brought to the White House. He wanted to declassify what was known as the Crossfire Hurricane investigation into his 2016 campaign and Russia connections. Trump, believing that it would prove his claims, it was all a hoax. His order set off a flurry of activity in those final two days of his time in the White House, aides scrambling to redact the intelligence. They made multiple copies of the redacted portions, while the original, unredacted, 10-inch thick binder, which could potentially reveal critical sources and methods of collecting that intelligence, inexplicably disappeared. I want to bring in former FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe. I imagine you have a lot of concerns about the fact that this binder is missing. Yeah, Caitlin, it's really hard to overstate how serious this could be. Now, to be perfectly clear, I don't, I don't, I haven't seen this binder. Uh, I think from reporting, it's fair to assess that it's the intelligence community assessment of Russian activity targeting the 2016 election, the infamous intel community document that's been so, uh, uh, so discussed and likely supporting documentation. So, I think it's important to level set like where this thing came from. Um, the ICA or the Intel Community Assessment was a result of a tasking from President Obama after the election, knowing that the FBI and the CIA and the NSA had been looking closely at Russia's activity targeting the election. And he asked the intelligence community to gather up everything they had from their most significant sources on Russian activity and the election, and to put that all together in one document. That is what the ICA is. So it includes reporting from some of the most sensitive, most significant sources that provide the United States government with the most exquisite and irreplaceable insight as to what is happening inside the Kremlin at the highest level. So the um, information associated with that document, I, I just cannot overstate how serious and fragile it is. So the fact that it's missing, I mean, how dangerous is that? Well, we know from, from CNN's reporting that the Intel community as recently as with, within the last year or so actually went and briefed the, uh, the leadership in Congress on the fact that this thing is missing. That comes from a requirement in the Intelligence uh, Act of 1947 that requires the Intel community to brief Congress on matters that are considered to be intelligence failures. So it's a statutory requirement. The most serious cases, they have to go, the community has to go to Congress and let them know what's happening. So that alone tells you how serious and significant the community thinks this is. I can tell you from my own understanding of the ICA and the work that went into it, there are sources that contributed to that document, both technical and human, that cannot be replaced. And human beings whose lives will absolutely be in danger if their involvement with the United States intelligence community is exposed. So and, it's and, it's and absolutely priceless. Trump was obsessed with this investigation and declassifying this because he was consumed, uh, I'll say to, to, to put it lightly, with how this affected his presidency from day one. I mean, we saw what it meant for his relationship with the intelligence community. And you know, this is something that Cassidy Hutchinson, 
when she testified to Congress, when she wrote her book about her former boss, Mark Meadows, and the role that he played in those last-minute rushed efforts to try to declassify this. I just want to remind people what she said about their efforts to declassify this information. I watched him climb into the limo, noticing the original Crossfire Hurricane binder tucked under his arm. I did not have time to ask what he planned to do with it as he drove away. What the hell is Mark doing with the unredacted Crossfire Hurricane binder? I imagine that's a question that those who are investigating where this binder is right now are also likely asking. Yeah, I, I hope they've leveled that question in a very serious way at Mark Meadows and anybody else who might have been involved in it. And let's be clear, the that information uh, in 2020 is relevant only to Donald Trump's desire to exact some sort of political benefit from its exposure. So what we're talking about here is, in, is, a, is the ending days of a dying administration focused on revealing ultra-secret, sensitive, important government secrets to the world in an effort to, to, to uh, settle some political scores with perceived enemies like me and my former colleagues. I mean, the whole thing is so absurd, but also offensive on a visceral level to people who spend their lives sacrificing their time, their lives, their blood, for the intelligence collection of the United States, for the national security of the United States, to think about people like Mark Meadows and Donald Trump just handling this stuff recklessly and in a dangerous manner, it's just absolutely disgusting. Andrew McKay, thank you. Thanks, Caitlin. Speaking of those last days in the White House, today we saw a rare appearance from the former First Lady, Melania Trump, most notable where she appeared and what she was highlighting. We'll tell you in a moment. Former First Lady Melania Trump making a rare public appearance in Washington at a naturalization ceremony today, congratulating 25 new American citizens as she reflected on her own journey as an immigrant. My personal experience of traversing the challenges of the immigration process opened my eyes to the harsh realities people face, including you, who to try to become U.S. citizens. The former first lady did not mention her husband in those remarks, who I should know is also planning a hardline expansion of his immigration policies if he is elected to a second term in the White House. But today's ceremony took place at the National Archives. That stands out to you? It should, yes. It's the National Archives, the same agency that asked the Justice Department to investigate her husband's mishandling of classified documents. That is after the National Archives went to great lengths to get those documents back before resorting to a search of his property to get them. Melania Trump's appearance today, beyond the substance of why she was there, is also notable given she has been noticeably absent from the campaign trail or from the courtroom that her husband has been in. Thank you so much for joining us on this very busy Newsweek. CNN Newsnight with Abby Phillip starts right now. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta 
host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.